time <laughs> for our peaceful warrior this morning. Our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect oh. excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Jeff Merrick, how are you this morning? Did you see what Paul Maurice did last night? Oh, With seven maybe? seconds left in the game, Paul Maurice did something I don't think I've ever seen before. Uh, I don't know how, how us, more people have Yeah, lightness. I don't know how more people haven't picked up on this, considering people watch these games so closely, and well, they should. Paul Maurice did something yesterday in those empty calories, seven seconds uh, at the end of the third period as the Panthers were getting blown out. He dressed five defensemen for the faceoff. What? Where was I? Brandon, packing Brand, my bags Brandon, for the morning. Brandon Montour took the draw. You had Mark Stahl, Aaron Ekblad, Josh Mahura, and Gustav Forsling out there. I've well, never seen that. Why do, you, why do you think he did that? What sort I don't of message know. Is that? Gr- I, I have no idea. Not that the peaceful warrior is an expert on they, combat and all that stuff. No, I like, have. Was... No, it's very. Thank you. Snatch the pebble, grasshopper. Only then may you leave the temple, Justin. Only then may you leave the temple. You know, it's. Um, I don't know. I I I I wish I had I wish I had a I wish I had a good answer. Like in for case you. there was like a post game scuffle. No. 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 No, because it's not as as if he, as if he had you know killers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I wonder if that was just um, a message to the forward group. I don't know. I have no clue. Was it just you know because they did one cutaway to the bench and Maurice was laughing. <laughs> so I don't know. Like it's just That's like loses so my Joker style. Mm. It was so weird. It's like wait a minute. There's five, why is Montour taking the drop? There's five defensemen out there. Did he win it? I don't think so. Oh, we'll have to go back and check. Because <laughs> maybe he's, maybe he's on to something. Um, <laughs> well, I know the broadcast caught on to Matthew Kachuk missing a couple shifts after his uh, his penalty yeah. earlier. And, and I don't know if that was Here. disciplinary or just like, hey, the game's getting out of hand. you got to chill a bit. But then no, he did get it. That was, he did get it checked that, that was, that was that was disciplinary. Mm-hmm. You know, there there was a time. Let me get all let me get all old Jeff on you here. There was a time when defensemen took draws consistently, right? There, uh, the Maple Leafs team in 1967. If you look at that famous uh, the George Armstrong goal, which which gives the Maple Leafs the two goal lead, um, the insurance goal. Uh, Alan Stanley's taking the draw. Defensemen used to they, because coaches. I know that Imlac always felt that this um, that structurally it sets up better in your own zone if a defenseman takes a draw. Anyhow, I'm getting way too carried away with all these defensemen <laughs> taking draws and lining up here. But there, there, what Ray Bork used to take draws. Um, there was a time when defensemen took more draws than than ever. But the first thing I noticed, like when I saw Montour out there, I'm like, oh wow, look, he's got Montour taking the draw. That's cute. I guess he's just who cares? It's empty <laughs> calorie time and. There's five defensemen on the ice. <laughs> Anyhow, apropos of nothing. Well, uh, well, you guys the, this morning. Uh, we're, we're doing pretty good. I mean, the Panthers, though, they do need a bit of a strategic shift. Uh, I wonder if there's. Don't any... know that's it. Yeah, that's <laughs> don't prob- know that that's the... that, that's probably not it. Uh, but they got to do something. Are are you kind of like we yeah. were talking about this in the first blog? Uh, if you're clinging to something as a Panthers fan right now, what what would it be? You're going home. Oh, You're going man. home. You got your fans. Like the, the the series isn't lost yet. You haven't lost serve. All you can do is win the games at home. And if you're the Panthers, hopefully fo- uh, force a, force a game seven where you know any anything can happen. I guess. I mean, they're getting they're getting beaten at all in all areas here. You know, when I was I was in Vegas for a, for a hot five minutes last week, just a, a one day quick trip oh. um, to Vegas for media day, and one of the people that we talked to. 
Elliot and I, was uh, Bruce Cassidy, and I asked him, I said, where is this series going to be won? And honestly, I did not expect an answer because I asked Paul Maurice the exact same question, and Paul Maurice said, I'm not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, you got to go on. you got to go on these fishing trips, right, and see. So, But Cassidy answers. So for, first of all, I kind of wasn't surprised because Bruce Cassidy, if you ask him anything, he will give you the best possible answer without betraying state secrets as he can. Like he'll take you right up to that line. And I think that's one of the reasons why I think we all like talking to Bruce Cassidy because he gives you terrific answers. Um, I know Ron McLean loves talking about and to Bruce Cassidy because he loves talking about the strategy of the game a lot. And that's where, you know, Ron McLean really lives. Um, and Bruce Cassidy said, this series is going to be one in front of the net. Because I said, like, pick an area of the ice. Like, if you, if you win this area, who, you know, do, you, you can win this series. And he said, in front of the net. Now, I get it. You know, like, that's where the puck's going anyway. Like, what were you taught as a, as a young person playing defense? If you lose your assignment, go to the front of the net because that's where the puck is going anyhow. Um, but if you look at what the floor, the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights have been able to do to Florida here, they've controlled the front of the net. Now they've controlled the boards. They've controlled the neutral zone. Um, they've controlled everywhere, but they've really controlled the front of the net. And it's not so much the front of the net in their own zone, although they are doing a great job making sure that there's a lot of clear shots here for Aiden Hill, who does look outstanding. That is a huge Vegas Golden Knights blue line, by the way, uh, as you, uh, as both you guys will well know. Um, but they're controlling the front of the net in front of the Panthers. And what they're doing is they're taking away Bobrovsky's eyes. Uh, Boston wasn't able to do it. Toronto wasn't able to do it. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes weren't able to do it. But consistently, shift in, shift out, the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights are able to take away the eyes of Sergei Bobrovsky. They are controlling the play in front of the Florida Panthers' nets. And that's probably why we're now having second thoughts about, you know, the Florida Panthers' goaltender winning the Consumite Trophy. Just got to win a game here first. Yeah. Uh, you like talking... Uh, to Bruce Cassidy. I like talking about Bruce Cassidy because I think he's like sure. most emblematic of what makes Vegas different. I mean, I think they saw the ability to improve maybe just incrementally with Bruce Cassidy and they took that opportunity, which says a lot about your franchise. But also Bruce Cap- Cassidy, I mean, like kind of embarrassed at the end of last season. I don't want to say scapegoated because I think there was real friction and there was real like, you know, okay, we reached our point here with the Boston Bruins. Um, but I think, you know, the Vegas way is maybe best seen through the Bruce Cassidy story. Would you, would you subscribe to that? You know, there's a, I, I would, um, there, there's a, there's a real interesting story here with Bruce Cassidy. First of all, one of the reasons why I like Bruce Cassidy is we never thought he was coming back to the NHL. Like there was a time where we thought, okay, Bruce Cassidy, career AHL coach, right? He had his go around with the Capitals and it was briefly uh, on the bench with the Chicago Blackhawks. I don't even know if it was for a full season or not um, coming out of the lockout as an assistant. Um, but we thought, okay, you know, Bruce Cassidy had his go around, <clears throat> didn't work out great with the Washington Capitals. We're probably not going to see him on an NHL bench again. And then Claude Julien got piped and they, they brought him up and um, took the Boston Bruins to some some pretty impressive heights, most notably the Stanley Cup final, and they bowed out against the St. Louis Blues. So I love that story. Like, I love the story of, you know, the guy that had the NHL shot, went back down to the American Hockey League, was kind of a write-off, he'll never come back up here, brought him back um, in an emergency situation when Claude Julien got fired, and he's done well. Someone, Someone from Vegas... Here's an interesting story for you. Someone from Vegas this year told me something really interesting. And if you recall the playoffs last season, Carolina versus Boston, 
Hey, Andrei Svechnikov absolutely levels Hampus Lindholm, takes him out of the series. Can't remember which game it was. It was early. It was early, early in the series. And this person brought the point up to me. He said, you know, if Andrei Svechnikov doesn't take Hampus Lindholm out of the Boston series, now Carolina went on to win that series, as we know. If he doesn't take Hampus Lindholm out of the series... Jim Montgomery is probably the coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. And Bruce Cassidy <clears throat> is probably still the coach of the Boston Bruins. And it's all because of that one hit which swung that series, which I thought was interesting. Um, so, yeah, there is that for Bruce Cassidy. Going back to my original example of, you know, down, down to the American League, never to be heard from again at the NHL level, there is that sort of misfit identity that Bruce Cassidy has kind of kind of had and kind of carried with him. And that little bit of, you know, I showed you, uh, I can hang here. I mean, look at all these players. I mean, it's an expansion roster, obviously. But, I mean, there's a, a number of players here that are still from that original, you know, Vegas Misfits um, cast that weren't wanted on the voyage. And if you don't think that this is extra sweet for someone like Jonathan Marcheseau and Riley Smith specifically, the two that Vegas got from the Florida Panthers, uh, one by trade, one by draft at the, uh, at the uh, Vegas expansion draft, you're fooling yourself. This is extra, extra good for them. Yeah, Jonathan Marcheseau has been uh, a real bright oh. storyline here. Where he uh, kind of surprised Every game. us. Yeah, he's been Every game. super, Money. super steady. Is he the cons my favorite right now? I still say Jack Eichel. Mm. You know the remarkable thing about this? I, I, I still pick Eichel even though he hasn't scored in like, what, eight or nine games? Mm-hmm. Like, Glad every that he's time back Eichel... on the ice after that hit, too. Holy smokes, Whew. what a hit. And I don't know about you, but I mean, my first thought is the ADR surgery. Mm-hmm. Right, the artificial disc replacement after he absorbed that hit. I mean, he went down a level and took the shoulder. Oh man, I thought, oh no, scary. is this like the first real big test of <sighs> Doctor Pressmax's uh, ADR surgery? Seriously? But thank, <laughs> thankfully, uh, thankfully he was okay. But I think that I think that Eichel has has still. I mean, listen, Marcia So is right there in the conversation. Obviously, you know, very quietly in a low key mm-hmm. sense. So is Alex Petrangelo. Mm. Petrangelo has been phenomenal. Uh, for this Vegas Golden Knights team. Aiden Hill's been That's right. good as Aiden Hill. There like, seems like they have lots of depth. They could be anyone at this point. There's there's a there's a handful. I'll, I'll still take Eichel as the favorite, mm-hmm. though. Um, okay, we're talking to Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show, host of 32 Thoughts of Podcast. So we're talking about coaches you didn't think you'd see back in the league. How about Mike Babcock? So mm. why Columbus chose this route, and is this maybe like a, a last-ditch effort for Yarmo Kekalainen? Yeah, does it not? It's a good point, Ailish, because does it not feel like... This is probably Yarmo Kekalainen's last coaching hire as GM. Mm-hmm. Does like this is the one. This is the one where you say, okay, if uh, if I'm going down, if this is going to be my last hire, because now very much so. I mean, he's been there ten years as a GM, um, more so than ever. All eyes are on the manager here, uh, and it's almost as if Yarmo is saying, okay, if I'm going down, I'm going down with someone who best reflects my personality. No nonsense, all business. This team needs a kick in the pants. And this is the coach that's going to do it. I'll take the criticism. I don't care. I'm going to get my guy. That's what this one sort of feels like to me. I don't want to say that Columbus has been like uh, a country club uh, or anything like that. I don't want to insult those those athletes that way. But it hasn't been the toughest place to play. Nationwide hasn't been the toughest place to play hockey for a visiting team. And there but there are a lot of games in the past couple of seasons we've walked away from and said, it would have been nice if Columbus put up an effort. 
Mm. It would have been nice if there was some type of pushback. And, you know, where's where's Patrick Laine? And, we, you know, I thought Johnny Gaudreau was supposed to come in here and do something. Now, I know injuries were a major story with Columbus last season. But I, I think you're right, Ailish. I think, Ailish, I think you pointed the right thing here. And that is, this might be Yarmo's last hire. And if he does, and if he, and, and and if it is his last hire, he's going out knowing that he's not doing this with a player's coach who's going to be chummy with the guys. He's going to give this one serious last big shot. Now, there are some players, and I think rightfully so, and there are some agents, and rightfully so, who have some serious misgivings about this hire. We all know the backstory with mm-hmm. Mike Babcock, and the question is going to be. How much has Mike Babcock changed? We all know whether it's the Marner story, the Spezza story, um, the Detroit Red Wings stories, because I don't even I don't think that there's just one here. Um, we all know those. And the question is, how much has Babcock changed? We have seen some coaches change. We've seen some coaches talk a lot about changing and still they end up kicking players in the back, you know, behind the bench. Um, let's see what what type of change coach Babcock is here. Like, I'll be really curious to see and hear uh, when Babcock does his first press conference, how he talks about himself and what he's done with himself and the things that he's learned and the things that he's going to carry in to next season. Because this one, listen, as you two guys both know, this, this is not a hiring that is without controversy at all and we all know the stories and we all listen we've all followed the johan franzen story we all know what happened there Mm -hmm. and i think babcock has already you know mentioned like yeah you know i i was unaware at that time like i don't know how you can go through something like that and come out at the end of it have a couple of years of reflection and not realize you know what i need to change here so let's see if he has was the timeline for Mike Babcock's return to the NHL kind of dependent on getting every single last penny from MLSE or was there like was there previous interest in him or did it just happen to line up that he's going to end his contract with Maple Leafs get I, that money? I, I there something it's weird something happened initially with with Babcock and the Columbus Blue Jackets like early in their early in their process you know we were getting words that you know Babcock's already been offered the job or they're already deep in conversation about Mike Babcock and you know we weren't sure whether you know the word we were getting is you know not sure whether he wants it does he think Columbus can win is this the the right opportunity for Babcock to get to get back into the uh, in, into the NHL um, so something happened early and then he went on vacation with his family and then came back and, and took the job. You know, I think, to be honest with you, I think we were all wondering about Patrick Waugh here. Mm-hmm. Now, well, there's a lot I don't of talk know. about him still about maybe other teams. Uh, could be. I mean, listen, everywhere he goes, he wins. And mm-hmm. most recently with the Quebec Ramparts, the Memorial Cup, which he just won in Kamloops, uh, everywhere this guy goes, and he very much, and there's, and you want to talk about players that need a redemption story or coaches yeah. that need a redemption story. Patrick Wise is, is certainly one of them. Um, you know, he was, I don't know if I can call it, I, I do, okay, put it this way. I know that Patrick Wise, like, for a fact, I can tell you, that Patrick Waugh and the Columbus Blue Jackets at least had a conversation. Was it a job interview? Was it a let's talk now and then after the Memorial Cup, if the vacancy is still there, let's go a little bit deeper here in what we might want to do. There was some contact, though, between the Columbus Blue Jackets and Patrick Waugh. I can tell you that with 100% confidence. And I spoke to Aaron Portsline on the on the, the show yesterday, and he mentioned that the speculation was, you know, if it wasn't going to be Babcock, don't be surprised if it, if it would have been Patrick Waugh. 
I guess uh, the seat maybe isn't isn't empty in Toronto, though. Uh, we'll talk to you about more Sheldon Keefe news mm. maybe next time if there is something official. But it sounds like he might be there still. So you want Patrick? You want Patrick Wall in Toronto? You want? Uh, I don't know. You want, about you want that. the show to come to town? You want the show to that, come to town? But I don't know if that's even an option. It sounds like Sheldon Keefe might be safe this time around. Um, so. All right, Jeff. Well, thanks for joining so. us this morning. Enjoy the week, and we'll chat with you next Tuesday. What a performance by the Knights, hey? Oof. We'll see if uh, they're still in by next, if the, if the cup isn't awarded by next time we talk to you. It could be. 5D, Ooh. 5D on the ice. Paul Maurice, well, look at you. Keep an eye on it. Maybe something's trending yeah, now. Yeah, let us know if you figure out why that <laughs> yeah, happened, Merrick. I'm interested. I have no idea. No clue. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Jeff. Enjoy your day. Awesome. Have a good one. That's Jeff Merrick, host of The Jeff Merrick Show and co-host of 32 Thoughts, the podcast, and our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Five defense. That's a Jeff I mean, Merrick, Merrick thing Merrick, to find. Yeah, but Merrick's done morning radio, and to, to think that we wouldn't have gone to bed with 70 seconds, was it, left? No, I'm... Jammed I, us up a bit there. I, like... I remember watching it. I just—I don't <laughs> yeah, think I was no. like five defensemen. Yeah. At that point, I'm you know packing up. Yeah, I just was closing uh, the laptop. I wasn't paying attention at that point. No. Admittedly, the game was kind of out of reach, so we'll give it to you. It's not like it was an OT experience. Um, okay, we'll we'll chat more with Haley Salvian. Um, all things Stanley Cup related. She obviously has some Brad Trey living experience being a Calgary reporter. So maybe there's something that she can unearth for us. But it's time for something to chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Oh, boy. <laughs> Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. They'd like to make this... They're planning a Dubas power play? They'd like to make this NBA final about them as well because no one's talking about LeBron James. So... LeBron James and Kyrie Irving. This is from Shams Trania from The Athletic. Apparently, Kyrie Irving reached out to LeBron to gauge his interest in playing with him, joining him with the Mavs. <sighs> Kyrie's a free agent. So first of all, I don't know how this really works. Like you're calling people to be like, hey, by the way, you want to come play here? I don't even know if I'm playing here. Yeah. And then think about Kyrie, LeBron, and Luca. How does Luca feel about all this? Mm-hmm. The return, I mean, the reunion of Kyrie and LeBron, they've won a championship together. Then Kyrie requested out to go to Boston. I, I just think, I mean, LeBron James, what he does at the end of his career, isn't going to define his legacy, but it's going to be interesting. You know, like he, he might stick around, right, and try to wait till Bronny's in the league, but is it to go to the Mavs for a year and then wait to see where Bronny's drafted and then go there for a year? It's just it's a very strange idea, and I think it would be chaos. <laughs> LeBron is not playing anywhere but L.A., Right? You want him to go to Dallas Mavericks. His kid went to USC. Mm-hmm. He wants to be there. He wants to play with him after. It's more, it seems like he's a fa- he's got family obligations right now. Where's the spotlight? What do you mean? For the Lakers. I don't even think it's about the spotlight. No, I think it's about, think being it's about a, the spotlight being a dad. for LeBron James. I don't think it is. I think, I think he, he, cares he wants about to playing. win. He wants to go to USC games. Mm-hmm. He wants to be in LA. That's why he went to LA in the first place. I think the LeBron James cares about the spotlight. He does, but he's gonna. the spotlight follows him. Right? Like yeah. If, if Bronny gets it's a little different to go play for Bronny Dallas gets, and Lakers. If Bronny gets drafted by the Charlotte Hornets, is he just you know, not enough spotlight there? I don't actually want to do but the thing I said it's I wanted about to do. Bronny at that point. Exactly. I think it's about Bronny right but now. This year isn't I think it's about, part of it. Yeah, but Bronny isn't playing the league yet. I'm sure LeBron James can take a bird to he can. Bronny's games. You are right. And uh, it's, there's something about Kyrie and LeBron. Like they just can't they can't quit each other. They want to be on the same team. That much is evident. 
And honestly, if they play on the same team as Luka Doncic, that would be a really, really fascinating it group of be. players it would to slap be. together. But again, I think you nailed it. It's like, what's, it, this is Luka's team. Uh, you don't get to just like decide who plays for the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> Kyrie Irving, who doesn't have a contract with the Dallas Mavericks right now. Uh, I like, I get the idea. It would be, it would be cool. And like, people are like, that's, that's so ridiculous. Like, I guess it is, but it would be something like if LeBron wants to win. Yeah. Maybe that's an option. Maybe. Uh, I just don't think he's going to make that decision. And ultimately the decisions that the Dallas Mavericks make Mavericks make go through Luka Doncic first, not Kyrie and not LeBron James. It is uh, just stunning time to also, I mean, the NBA, what free agent trade deadline, free agency. When does that start? The 30th, I think of this month where things can happen. I, I just, I mean, hmm. LeBron still has a contract. Does he not for another year? An opt out, like he's not the free agent, so like he's got a player option. Yes, and it's probably a lot of money. I think it's like thirty six million or something. I think it's fifty million. <laughs> yeah, that's a, yeah, lot, that's of a lot of money. Okay, um, no NBA tonight. Also, so we got to wait another day. Denver Nuggets at the Miami Heat tomorrow. So Heat headed back home. You got the Panthers headed back home. It's time for the Florida State to do something to make these series competitive. I mean, Miami a did a really good days. job there, um, pulling up the win in Denver. But tonight, you just got. Some Blue Jays, 7-7 first pitch. You got Kevin Gosman on the mound looking for a little bit of a redemption for last night's loss. Um, Hunter Brown on the other side. We'll take your thoughts, your texts, your vibes about Alec Manoa throughout the show. Uh, can read a couple more here before we take a break. Um, and this is this is something we brought up as well, but the front office failure is glaring. This isn't two or three bad starts for Noah. It's every start. How hasn't the front office found anything at all to bring in for help? Knock on wood that another starter doesn't get injured there. That scenario away from putting punting on the season. Now, I understand that the player has like a say on where he wants to go, but we saw Julio Tehran last week, right? Mm -hmm. With the Milwaukee Brewers who, I mean, the Milwaukee Brewers signed Tehran who hadn't pitched in the major league since 2021. Like, like I get like this wasn't a proven asset, but he was really good. Mm -hmm. He was really good. Like there should be options. Like why weren't they in the Tehran sweepstakes when clearly Mm -hmm. you have issues with Manoa? Are you not trying to send a message to Manoa that his time might be fleeting? I'm not really sure, but if you keep turning down all the opportunities to get a guy, that text is right. Like there should have been a contingency plan in place before the season and they should have been looking at options over the last month or so. And now you're behind the eight ball because if you're going to look for options, um, they might be diminished at this point or another team's not going to hand you over something on a silver platter. Like you're going to have to pay and you're going to have to do something here when the clock is ticking. Um, Allison in Toronto brings up a similar point. My question is, how is it possible knowing Manoa's struggles that management didn't have a bulk guy in the pen to eat innings behind him? I mean, I think we came into yesterday teeing it up thinking that it would be good if Manoa got a little bit of length. I didn't think uh, one out was the length that we'd be getting, but they mm. also had a little bit of an issue with um, a couple a couple guys not being available yesterday too. What was it, Pearson, Swanson, and uh, Romano. Romano. So Romano he, maybe could have went. He maybe could have went. I mean, there wasn't even an option near the end because they were losing. But, I mean, they've, they've found themselves in lack of depth in that option as mm-hmm. well. I mean, how important was Ross Stripling last year? He started as a long man, right? Mm-hmm. Like he started as a guy who's just middle relief, guy who can eat up innings. Like it's a valuable thing in the major leagues and the Blue Jays entered this season without someone who could do that. Jay, Jay Jackson was the only silver lining. Yeah, he was pretty good for a bit. He actually, he basically was a starter. <laughs> he came in in the first the, the, inning. Right now, that's the best option. Mm-hmm. Start Jay Jackson and go to the pen. 
Uh, here's a text. Call up Wes Parsons. He's having a really great year. You know what? I don't know a thing about Wes Parsons. I'm going to take your word for it. Call up Wes Parsons. Anything but... Oh, I mean, Jay Jackson, I think he's just up because of the pat leave for mm-hmm. Chris Bassett, which I'm, ends tomorrow because Chris Bassett's going to pitch tomorrow. So they still got to do something. It's not about Manoa or any individual this year. It should only be about winning in the small window. This isn't the trial league, as our old friend JD wisely said. Well, you're now weighing the window and you're weighing having to make decisions to maybe sell someone that you don't want to as a trade asset or a prospect because you have to fill the void of Manoa and you might have to make some big offseason moves. Let's say Matt Chapman goes. Let's say you lose Matt Chapman this offseason. How are you going to get a a replacement for Matt Chapman? To quote John Morosi, the window's closing before it really opened. Send your thoughts in. And, and I'm okay with them not making something like knee jerk right now. Like I'm not getting, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. Not, I want you to trade a Ralvis Martinez no, I don't want that either. for a starting pitcher. Like just take a breath, take the ball away from Alec mm-hmm. Manoa and put someone else who you employ on the mound every five days until you need to make a decision. Maybe you can get to Hunjin Ryu's return. Maybe you can get to Mitch White being stretched, whatever. Whatever it may be, maybe Alec Manoa returns a new guy. I'm not really sure. You don't have to make the knee jerk right now, but you have to do something. 1,000%. His next schedule start is Saturday. We cannot see Alec Manoa take the mound at home against the Minnesota Twins on Saturday. Untenable. All right, let's shift to a little bit of RBC Canadian Open. On the After the break, we're going to talk to Brian Crawford, who's the tournament director, also a former CFLer. Somehow found himself doing this. We need to find out how quite the unique career path. Let's talk about how Oakdale's setting up. We're going to be there Saturday to see it live in action. Maybe he's got some tips. I heard that also. I read an article this morning, just an FYI for listeners. It's supposed to be extremely, extremely mosquito-y this summer. Maybe the highest mosquito-y rate. The, The mosquito per person rate, just like the loony dog per person rate, has skyrocketed this summer. So beware. Mosquitoes are coming. So... Is that the Oakdale situation? Maybe Brian knows. <laughs> I don't think you're going to throw him a curveball. <laughs> I'm not going to ask him about mosquitoes. I'm just giving everybody a heads up. I read an article about mosquitoes. Okay. And it's supposed to be a bad, bad summer so for mosquitoes. So you're not going to lead it with like, uh, what's the bug situation there? Well, it may come up. It may. You bring some bug spray on Saturday, I Justin. Be doing that. Anyway, Brian Crawford joins us on the other side of the break on the Fan Morning Show with Justin and Ailish. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The bug spray is packed in a six by six. Yep. It's the it's size key. of the bag. Six, six by six. We've already, we've already scoped the- out the parking. Yeah, we're getting prepared. We're taking a shuttle bus from Downsview Station in order to avoid the parking because we're smart. We're ready to go. We crushed it. We looked at the RBC Canadian Open website this morning. We made our plans. We we know we're going to see Alanis Morissette on mm-hmm. Saturday night. If you're going Friday, you can see the Black Eyed Peas. There you go. Because the RBC Canadian Open is the hot spot Woo! this weekend in Toronto. Talk about that. Entertainment, the tournament. We have the tournament director, Brian Crawford, on this morning. Good morning, Brian. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having us. How do you have time for this? Aren't you busy? 
<laughs> oh, this is all part of it, Ailish. I wouldn't uh, miss it for the world. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. Well, we're excited. We're headed there um, this Saturday, as we mentioned, Justin and I are down there to see it up close and personal. But we're doing some research on Brian Crawford. Um, I also did find out your nickname is Craw Daddy from someone that works Still with you. Still go by Craw Daddy? I won't put that on blast. <laughs> Craw Daddy. <laughs> That uh, that nickname was bestowed upon me by Pinball. So uh, there you it's, go. Uh, you know, one you got to keep going with, I guess. <laughs> okay, so Craw Daddy So when we see us. you on Saturday, we can yell Craw Daddy <laughs> yeah. across the fairway and you won't ignore us? <laughs> Probably not, no. There we go. <laughs> okay, so you have CFL roots and we were doing some investigation. Uh, how do you find yourself going from CFL to running Canada's National Golf Tournament? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. Sometimes I wonder how I got here too. But uh, in all seriousness, it's uh, I've uh, had a really great opportunity to work in a variety of different uh, sports settings, and um, you know, I kind of got my start working in uh, Ontario University athletics and uh, spent about eight years there in, in some leadership uh, positions and um, got to go on to Canada basketball and, and run business operations and events for our national team. And uh, that eventually found my way to, uh, to golf. And they were really uh, you know, interested in finding somebody that uh, maybe wasn't from the golf world uh, at the time. And, uh, you know, fortunately enough, uh, I got the opportunity to do it. And it's been you know, a, wonderful, uh, a wonderful ride so far that we've been on. That's awesome. It kind of sounds like a bit of a dream job, honestly, to be running uh, Canada's national tournament. I'm sure it's pretty, like, it's interesting, right? Because you're working all year, not there's other things to do, but you're working all year for a big, big weekend. And this is the weekend. I wonder, like, you got your experience in sport, but like, there are other things that go into running a tournament, like booking Alanis Morissette and the Black Eyed Peas. Like, are you involved in that? Is that you're doing? Like, kind of take us through your processes, your planning, and your job responsibilities for putting on such a massive event. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a really an every hat type of job. Um, you know, there's a, a lot of moving parts, a lot of different uh, partners and stakeholders and people that are involved in in the tournament. And you know, one day it might be uh, you know working with the commissioner, and the next day it's working with you know one of our uh, scaffolding suppliers or something like that. On the concert series specifically, you know, we've got uh, an unbelievable partnership with RBC, and you know, this is part of their music platform, RBCX Music, and and through that uh, they have a great uh, relationship with live nation who you know really manages so much of the concerts uh, for us and then uh, you know we're responsible for kind of putting on all the operations around it so it's been a it's been a fantastic program that we've had for the last number of years uh you know great artists this year that really have expanded the tournament to you know different audiences different people and we've seen it you know, every year that we've done this, that it has uh, been reflected in the people that have come out to the tournament that had never come before and now see that, you know, it's this is a great party. It's a, it's the kickoff to summer. We like to call it Summer's Open, and, and, that's, uh, and that's what we're trying to do, make sure people have a great time uh, enjoying all the aspects of our tournament. Okay, so that kind of leads me to my next question because golf tournaments kind of take on different attitudes and tones, right? You got the Waste Management Open, which is a massive party in Arizona, Super Bowl weekend, it's a big thing. You have other ones that are a little bit more prestigious, so on and so forth. So, you know, we've seen the Canadian Open sort of evolve recently. What does it aspire to be from an identity standpoint on the PGA Tour schedule? Yeah, you know, we're just trying to be, you know, kind of the most authentic uh, version of, of ourselves. And really what that means is, you know, we have to, uh, you know, really honor and respect the 
you know, long, long tradition that we have uh, as a as a championship and a national open, you know, being the third oldest event uh, that there is on tour after only the Open Championship and the U.S. Open. So uh, there's a component of that while also making sure that, you know, we're reflective of uh, Canadians and, and Canadian golf fans and sport and entertainment fans and really doing our best to provide uh, an entry point for everyone into the sport of golf. You know, as a you know, as Golf Canada, as the National Sports Federation, you know, our responsibility is to get more people involved in the game, and this is one of our biggest platforms uh, for doing that. And you know, we continue to look for new ways to get more and more people interested in, in being part of it, and you know, living healthier, happier lives. We're talking to Brian Crawford, tr- tournament director at the RBC Canadian Open, which is just days away. Um, so it's at Oakdale Golf and Country Club this season, uh, this year. So I wonder what goes into choosing the golf course and why it's Oakdale this time around. Yeah, it's a really fantastic opportunity for us to to be here. You know, this is a hundred year old club here in Toronto that a lot of people were not very familiar with. Mm. Um, you know, most people are really familiar with you know other clubs that we go to, uh, like St. George's, like Hamilton Golf and Country Club. Um, but Oakdale had been you know relatively quiet despite you know its age and history and and how big of a club it is as well in terms of its membership uh, base. So uh, it, uh, it it was really kind of serendipitous how it came about you know somebody was watching the events in 2019 a club member here by the name of jordan that said hey i wonder if we could ever do that and started the conversation and uh we came out here and and looked at it and it took you know quite a long time got interrupted by covid a bit that process but you know but just more and more we came out here and the more and more people that came out here to see it and evaluate really saw what a great opportunity uh it was to become you know a club in the host rota for the rbc canadian open and when people get here you know they're going to see a you know, traditional Stanley Thompson design golf course that uh, he just has so many wonderful features and, and really uh, beyond that provided everything that we needed uh, from an operations perspective to actually put this championship on. What sort of changes did you have to bring to the golf course in order for it to be PGA caliber? Yeah, well, it's another interesting kind of component of the golf courses is the 27-hole property. So we've actually created a composite routing for the championship out of the three nines. So we've taken uh, holes kind of each of the three nines to put together, you know, a, a test that we think is befitting of the national championship and, and you know, the professional players. So uh, it's, you know, a unique, a unique opportunity to be able to do that. It's a course that only exists for this national championship. And, you know, the club's taken advantage of the routing and used it for a few things now, but... You know that's kind of the kind of one of the neatest things about uh, coming come here and hosted here. So you know in doing that we you know made some modifications to some of the fairways. You know do some narrowing, added a couple tees and a couple bunkers here and there, uh, and then you know really toughen up that part of the course over the last number of weeks with you know thickening up the rough and doing all those sorts of things from an agronomy perspective uh, to get it ready. And uh, everybody that's been here has really really enjoyed it and talked about uh, you know also how tough it's been as well. <laughs> yeah, we definitely heard the early returns are that is a hard course um but i wonder when you're doing your decision making of of courses to bring the canadian open to how important making sure that the rink hole will be uh set up and will be fully flourished um for that experience because it is a unique part of the canadian open is the rink hole 
Yeah, it's absolutely one of the, you know, kind of a high up priorities when we're thinking about how we're going to set up and build out the tournament uh, because it is it is our marquee hole. Uh, as an event that moves every year and we're only one of two, you know, outside of the majors that move. Um, so it's a unique challenge for a lot of a lot of ways. But um, most of those courses that, you know, have a home base every year, you know, they have a marquee hole. The course has a marquee hole. You think about the Island Green or uh, obviously you mentioned Waste earlier that, you know, those have these marquee holes. And really what the rink is for us is our marquee hole. We can take it from place to place. Of course, all of these courses have their own marquee holes, but, you know, people may not be as familiar with them. So the rink has just been, you know, an unbelievable, um, you know, addition to the RBC Canadian Open. It has grown every single year. It is bigger this year than it was last year. And it's really just, I think, a fun place that people have really gravitated to and really uh, enjoy themselves. And it's kind of a hallmark now of our event. So the tournament has a marquee hole. It also has a marquee attraction in Rory McIlroy. The defending champ is the tournament's uh, favorite, if you look at the odds boards. Uh, But it's more than just that with McIlroy and the Canadian Open. Uh, His loyalty has been very, very important in helping this tournament uh, succeed and, uh, you know, know, reach its potential or move towards its potential. Uh, In what ways has he helped the Canadian Open over the last 10 years or so, uh, you know, be the best that it can be as an annual event on the calendar? Yeah, I mean, you know, first and foremost, you know, Rory is an international spokesperson for golf and representative for the game. And uh, his first uh, his first trip here to Canada was in 2019, uh, you know, his first win. And that was really, you know, a launching pad for this tournament where we had introduced the concert series and so many other features that we now have on site. The rink had grown. And uh, his arrival here drove, you know, a ton of attention, a ton of interest. And then for him to play as well as he did and, and win that tournament, um, really, like as I said, just launch this tournament uh, on the trajectory that it is now. And to have him, you know, continue to be our champion by, uh, you know, winning his second back-to-back, albeit over four years with the COVID breaks, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better person to represent uh, the tournament. Uh, so, it is, you know, he's a special guy. He's a special person, obviously an amazing golfer. And uh, he has been incredibly supportive of, of the Canadian Open. National championships mean something to Rory. It is very important uh, to him. You know, those are legacy building uh, accomplishments. For him to have a shot at winning three, which, uh, you know, three consecutively that no one has done uh, before on, uh, with the RBC Canadian Open is a pretty, pretty special opportunity. Um, and also to do it at three different venues. You know, that's probably something that people maybe don't think about right away either. It's, you know, there's been a number of people that have won three times in a row on tour over its history, but to do it in three different golf courses is pretty spectacular. Now that said, you know, we all, of course, are cheering first and foremost for our Canadians, and we'd love nothing more than to have a Canadian with Rory on the final day in the final group coming down the fairways and uh, competing to win our national championship again, which is absolutely more than a possibility. It might even be likely. So Rory's success has been important, but what would a Canadian winning, as you laid out, uh, mean for the event itself? Yeah, it would be a landmark moment for the event no question it's been a long time since uh, since the canadian has hoisted the championship uh and we've got the deepest field of canadians that we've ever had we've had more wins on tour this year uh, by canadians than any other year they're in the mix you know week in and week out uh Corey just a couple weeks ago at the pga championship uh was fantastic and was right in the mix um all week so 
you know, to have a Canadian win, it, you know, it's not just uh, a moment for the RBC Canadian Open. It would be a moment for Canadian sports to, you know, have a Canadian win at home, their national champion on home soil um, against some of the best in the world. And, you know, we are just waiting for when it's going to happen. It's really not a matter of, uh, of whether it's going to happen. It's when it's going to happen. Yeah, we got a chance to speak to Corey Connors yesterday, and uh, we were feeling the confidence from him and, He'll definitely be someone we'll be trying to follow around this weekend. So you got Rory, you got Corey Connors, and you got Michael Block. It looked like he was definitely getting some crowds yesterday while he was walking around uh, the course. What goes into the decision to bring a a sponsor exemption up? And obviously, uh, you know, came an overnight celebrity for the PGA Championship and his stellar play and excitement, I'm sure, for you guys to to be able to have him and his story come up to, to Canada. Yeah, we well, we have a variety of ways that uh, sponsor exemptions go out, and you know many of them are through competition. We have a national qualifying system, and that's the great thing about you know hosting a national championship and a national open. It truly is open. Literally anyone in Canada could qualify uh, for this tournament, and we've had a number of amateurs win regional qualifying events to find their way into the tournament. So that's what's really special. Uh, and then we have you know a number that are that are open and unexe- and, and we can give to you know different people. And you know as I said earlier, you know our our priority is to grow the game of golf and you know what Michael accomplished just a few weeks ago and the energy and enthusiasm that he inspired uh, you know all around the world and for Canadians as well you know that's the kind of thing that you know we're looking for and so to have him have an opportunity to come here to play you know give the fans what they want to get them to get to see the block party here in uh, Canada you know I think it's a great thing he's a wonderful guy it's a great story um, and it's ultimately inspiring people to uh, to get involved in the game. Uh, so when looking forward here in the prospects of future success for this tournament, what are the like the primary issues at the forefront and what's you what makes you most confident that you'll you'll overcome those and this con- this tournament will continue to grow and thrive and be a staple on the PGA Tour uh, calendar season? Yeah, I mean, lots of things that, of course, happened uh, in golf over the last number of years. And I think our entire approach has always just been to focus on the things that we control, which is making this tournament the best that it can possibly be. Uh, you know, last year, we went the same week uh, as the start of uh, Live. And, you know, there was no question when you looked at the two products, what the what the better product was. And, you know, that's what we that's all that we can do. We focus on what it is we can control. We make sure that we do everything in our power to make this a great experience for everybody that's involved uh, and just continue to move along like that. And every year we're looking to grow and expand and make it a better experience and improve upon the previous years. Uh, And we'll just continue to do that, you know, week in and week out and year in and year out. We're speaking with Brian Crawford, tournament director for the RBC Canadian Open. So there's probably a lot of people listening that are planning or have tickets already to head down to Oakville golf and country club this weekend so any tips any uh best practices to enjoy the, the enjoy the event um in the next coming days uh well your tip earlier taking the subway to downsview that's a great go. way to get to the <laughs> tournament you can take the subway to downsview and then hop on our shuttles from downsview if you're driving yeah you're driving to downsview park in there and it's an eight minute ride right to the course so uh, pretty easy to get around in transportation wise lots of highways and stuff that uh, surround Oakdale here at the 400 and the 401 uh, so that's one of the one of the first tips you know we talked about the great things like the rink hole and of course at 18 green uh, our fairway fan village is over 150,000 square feet of space uh, that has all sorts of activations and has uh, a variety of different programming taking place there throughout the week 
but one of the tips, one of the one of the insider tips I like to give people is the uh, the tenth and eleventh holes. The uh, number ten is a par three that uh, goes uphill and it's got a bowl up on top around the green, and then the tee for the par three eleventh uh, hole right behind it is phenomenal. You can sit there on the mm. bowl, look at the par four tenth, turn around, watch the guys teeing off this elevated uh, green for the par three eleventh. It's a great spot to spend a day, spend part of your day, especially if you're a real golf uh, junkie and want to see some really cool shots. So making your way over there, it's a little bit uh, in the corner of the property, so it's a little bit hidden, but maybe not so much now that I've told everybody. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know where to find us now. We wrote that down. Uh, maybe we'll check it out. Appreciate you coming on this morning, Brian. Uh, best of luck with the rest of the week and the weekend. Maybe we'll, we'll yell crawdaddy at you if we get a chance to see you. <laughs> Sounds great, guys. Thanks so much. No worries. Uh, Brian Crawford, Tournament Director at RBC Canadian Open. Um, exciting opportunity to head down there. Check it out this weekend. Oakdale Golf and Country Club. The Canadian Open is in town. And Corey Connors was on the show yesterday. We got the Tournament Director. We're giving you the best methods to get there and enjoy it. And we will certainly do so on Saturday. Yeah, I'm glad we got some insider information because I have no experience at a golf. I've never been oh, to I a went golf tournament. Previously. What year did I go? Um, I don't know how to conduct myself. I'm trying to remember when I went. Uh, oh, was when uh, I think it was 2017. Do you remember who won? Vegas, baby. Oh, Jonathan Vegas. I remember Jonathan Vegas winning. I think he's won twice. He has. If I'm he not won back to back years. I forget if I saw it 16 or 17. He won back to back years. He won back to back years. Um, that was fun. It was. I believe it was out in uh, Oakville. When I went, yeah, yeah you're, it'll come to me. Your uh, your champion helps legitimize the event, right? Mm-hmm. So Rory being the back to back winner, uh, it definitely helps. It probably means that Rory's coming back, which he is, and hopefully he continues to do that. But uh, yeah, defending champion Rory McIlroy, it's a little different than defending two time champion Jonathan Vegas. Hey. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, the Canadian thing. He's right. It's not a matter of if, it is when, Mm -hmm. and hopefully it happens soon because it would be a great moment, not just for the tournament, but for Canada sport as well. It was Glen Abbey 2016, the first year that Johnny Vegas won. I was there, and I enjoyed it very much. He wasn't the defending champion at that point. I'm making my return to the Canadian Open there you go. at this point. Okay, um, we're talking about keeping the vibes high around the Toronto Blue Jays. Let's give you some tickets. We've been giving away tickets all week long, and we will continue to do so. Uh, Blue Jays are excel- excited to celebrate Pride Month at the ballpark on June 9th and 10th with the fourth annual Pride Weekend presented by TD. We have tickets to give away all week long. So to enter, listen for the daily code word and text it into 590-590. Today's code word is Pride Month. Text Pride Month to 59590 right now for your chance to win tickets to this Friday's game against the Minnesota Twins. Friday's game will also feature a rainbow flag jersey giveaway, pregame festivities, community initiatives, and more. Today's code word is Pride Month. Those are two words. Text that into 59590. Make sure you get there early because giveaway days are always pretty busy and there'll be lots of fun initiatives before, during, and all around the ballpark. So be sure to stay and enjoy that. Yeah, should be another good weekend at the ballpark. You say Kikuchi will be on the bump. Yeah, Kikuchi. And then uh, we'll see what happens Saturday with Alec Manoa's next scheduled start. It is currently scheduled. We'll see if that maintains the way um, that it is laid out. We have Caleb Joseph joining us after the break, former MLB catcher and current sports analyst with us here. Let's talk about the Manoa realities. Where we're at right now, where we already at that point before, was there a contingency plan? Doesn't seem like it. So what happens next? Caleb Joseph will help break it down with us on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590 Fan.